Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. I'm just going to tell you right out of the gate, this message series concerns me. And the reason why it concerns me is because I don't know if anyone wants to hear it. And, and here's why. If you fancy yourself a leader, chances are you think you already have it figured out how to lead. That you're like, you know what? I do it the way that I do it, which is known from this point forward as the right way. And if you don't like my way, there is the highway, right? So, so there we go. So, so sometimes people who are leaders already say, I don't want this because I have it pretty much figured out. So perhaps what might be necessary if you fit in that court category might be an ounce or a pound or 10 pounds of humility needed in order to say, you know what, there is, is something I can always learn uh, about being a leader. And especially, there's a difference between leading Dan Salofra's way and leading God's way. And I'm going to say maybe God's is a little bit better than mine or a lot. Now, the other part of you then don't want to have anything to do with leadership. And you're like, you know what? I don't want to come to that because I have no aspirations of leadership, especially not when it comes to church. I want to show up and I want to leave and I don't want to get caught up in in any of that stuff and I don't want to have to necessarily uh, deal with other people. I don't see myself as a leader. And so as we, we worry about that struggle, as I worried about it a little bit, it, it made me realize that right out of the gate, we need to maybe talk about the difference, first of all, between authority and leadership. So first of all, authority, that's kind of like the fourth commandment, obey your father and mother, and then it also makes applications into the government. Uh, it can also be in the church. And authority is when you are given a position or a title and you are in charge of, of a group of people. And so I have authority by virtue of being called here as the pastor. But we need to understand that there's a difference between authority and leadership. And so if this was a, a little, if this was a line for the kindergarten to go from the room to the playground, the teacher might say, okay, you're going to be the leader, put someone in authority as the first person in line to But then the kid who's screwing around, who's third in line, who gets the rest of the kids to follow him, he's actually the leader, even though someone else was was the one who was supposed to be in charge, that when you have influence over other people or when other individuals follow you, you become the leader. And, And as we look at our lives, what we're going to see is one thing that all of us have in common, every single person here, is all of us are both leaders and followers at the same time. All of us are in positions of authority and also under authority at the same time. There's no one here who's not under some type of authority, even if it's in the government. And there's also, as we look at our lives, there are people who look to you. 
people who look to you for advice, for encouragement, and in that way, you are a leader. And so as we go through this, I hope you see that this is a message series that really applies to everyone. That, that as you look at this, whether it's in your position of authority or simply as you have influence on those around you, these principles that we are going to go through are going to help very much. We go to, to Nehemiah, and what I'm going to do is just right now is two things. One of them is I'm just going to read through the first chapter, which is 11 verses. All 11 of those verses are not going to be on the screen. Uh, So if you have your Bible with you today, or if you have the Bible app, you can open up to Nehemiah chapter 1. And what I'm going to do is, first of all, just read the first chapter, and then I'm going to give you a little background in, in the time period in which this takes place. So Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven and earth, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open and hear the prayer your servant is praying before you today, day and night, for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. You, We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses." Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you are an exiled people and and you are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So here we see Nehemiah, and the first part of it is to understand a little bit about the history of the children of Israel and of the Jewish people. And this could go on for a whole semester of school. I'm telling you that the the history we are about to go through. And so what I'm going to try to give you is just a few highlights that might help you understand a little bit of the Old Testament. So I want you to think 1,500 BC. So 1,500 years before Christ, that you can put a, a kind of a little mental note there and think of Moses. This is Moses. This is the children of Israel. This is them being led out of Egypt. And what we see in this time is, is different ways that God has led his people. 
And in this way, the, the Psalms tell us that God led with an outstretched arm, that he used the glory of the Lord. He was a pillar of, of fire at night and a cloud by day, and he personally led his people with Moses through the desert into the promised land. That's 1500 BC, that's Moses. 500 years later is the time of King David. And David was the second king of, of Israel and Judah. At that time was a one kingdom. And, and David ruled at about a thousand years before, before Christ. Now, during that time period, God ruled in a different way. Instead of ruling directly through his people, now he's ruling them through kings and, and those individuals. And the problem was the kings were bad. They continually turned from him, and, and they were warned through many prophets, and that is what half of the Old Testament is, is these warnings to the people, turn back to the Lord. And then something happened in 586 B.C., 586 years before Christ, the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians and the temple was destroyed. And that was not only a, the fall of the uh, government and the nation of the Jewish people, but it was so important because it was also the fall of them religiously. That it was at that time that God pointed to his temple in Jerusalem and said, this is where you can come and meet with me. This is where they sacrifice lambs for their sins. And all of them pointed ahead to the Christ that would come. And now once Jerusalem was gone, their hope was gone. Now this is about 80 years later or so is the time of Nehemiah and he's living in modern day Iran. So the, all of the people were taken in a captivity, or most of them. Some stayed behind, but, but most were either taken or killed. And it's during this time that they had gone 80 years, and now Nehemiah is, is someone who is of Jewish descent, but he's also a believer in the Lord. And he recognizes that the promises of God are tied directly to the city of Jerusalem. And so now he's in this time where, where he wants to know what is going on and what is happening, and that's where we enter the story. So we are roughly, roughly 500 years uh, before Jesus in the darkest time of Israel's history. The temple is destroyed, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed, and half of their people are living in what is now the Persian Empire. Uh, like I said, it's modern-day Iran, so they had gone through three different groups. They had gone through Assyria, they had gone through Babylonian, and now they were in Persian control. Very, very difficult time. And so, Nehemiah now is living in Persia, and he is the cupbearer to the king. And when you think of that, I don't want you to think waiter, because he's not his waiter. But as a cupbearer to the king, very often what the cupbearer would do is when anything was brought to the king to drink or to eat, that the cupbearer would take it and he would taste it first. And then they would wait, see what happened. If he lived, all right, I guess it's okay to drink. So it was someone, it, it was a mixture of secret service, 
mixed with the cabinet. Uh, so as a cupbearer to the king, I'm sure that he would have asked him occasionally, he would have been in on policy, and he would have been in a trusted circle of the king. So he was a very high-up individual in, in the government. So we are seeing that Nehemiah is a person who had authority in the kingdom, and by the fact that individuals are coming to him for religious concerns as well as the Jewish concerns, that he's a leader as well. That he's recognized with authority in in Persia, and he's recognized as a leader in the Jewish community. And and he begins his book, he read this, so, so he's not a prophet, he's not a pastor, uh, he, he is, like I said, he works in government. That's, that's what his job is. And this is how he starts his book. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So that is where the, the, the Persian Empire, the center of it. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And in these words, as we see Nehemiah even beginning to ask questions about it, we see where his heart is. That he looks at these other Jewish people that that have gone through all of these different things, the same thing he has gone through, they're going through it in different ways. You could say that Nehemiah landed on his feet, that he was okay, that, that he had a pretty good life, a pretty good job, and, and from that standpoint, it was all good. And yet, he still had this place in his heart for his, his, what he considered his countrymen, and specifically the city of Jerusalem, because it was in Jerusalem, it, it was this, his relationship with God, as he still looked at the Lord and the promised Christ, that these were things that Nehemiah still, after all of the things that had happened, was looking forward to. And in the blank, you can write, effective leadership starts with good listening. Effective leadership starts with good listening. And as you think about that, right now what I want you to think about is yourself as a follower, as someone who's not an authority. And what I want you to think about is the frustration you feel when you feel like you are not listened to. And probably the, the way that I would show that is uh, if you go into the doctor's office and you've, maybe you've been there before where you feel like the doctor's not listening to you, that before he gets in the room, he's read your chart and he feels like he already has the answers. So he comes walking in, yeah, this is what I think. Uh, here's your medication. I'm off to make $150 on my next appointment that I'm not going to listen to. And when, you, you, when that happens, it's extremely frustrating. It, it's extremely frustrating because as you look at that leader, that person in that position, there's a certain amount of arrogance that comes from not listening. In essence, what you're saying is, I don't have anything to learn from you. And so, as we, we look at this, now I want you to switch this the other way. And I want you to think about this in terms of leadership and listening, and the relationships that you have. I don't care if it's with your children. I don't care if it's with uh, a friend. I don't care if this is with someone you're dating. I don't care who it's with. But starting with that listening 
is something that is very difficult. Because most people, when they think about communication, they think about talking. They, that you get into a situation and you say, this is what I want you to know. I, I've thought about this, and, and this is where I'm going to start, is by speaking. And so if we all did this, it would be a lot more quiet because we'd be listening instead of talking or yelling. But, but as we do this even, to be active listeners, that when individuals come to us with concerns, that not only do we listen, but even question, gain clarity about what is going on. The next words, Nehemiah 1 verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is a tough time. And, and these words would have been especially heartbreaking because what you don't know, I'm guessing, unless you're a history buff of this era, is that Ezra, who was a priest, was sent back to Jerusalem 12 years earlier. And Nehemiah knew that. And because Ezra was allowed to go back with a number of people, Nehemiah, being a leader, being a strategy guy, would have said, I'm sure the first thing they'll do is build the wall so they can protect the city. Then they'll redo the gates so that, that they will be able to be safe. And after they do that, then I'm sure they'll build the temple. And so when these individuals came back and said, yeah, it's been 12 years and nothing has happened, Nehemiah was like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? This, this is, it, I can't even comprehend that. A whole decade, and, and the building project hasn't gone forward. In the blank, you can write, the responsibility of leadership is heavy. Sometimes I think about that, individuals who say, I don't want to lead, that's, that's too much work, that's too hard. You might be the smartest people I know. I get it. That, that it's just a lot easier to say someone else is going to handle this, because it is, that, that things are, are brought to you that, that are heavy. And maybe, I'll, if you want to look at another definition of a leader, I'm not saying this is a perfect definition, but it's one that has helped me, that a leader is someone who takes a person or themselves or a group of people from point A to point B. That's what a leader does. You're going from point A to point B. The problem is, is somewhere between point A and point B, there's a reason why people can't get to point B on their, on their own. That they're looking to other people to say, I don't know how to get there. And so I either need a map, or I need someone to explain this, or I need someone to navigate these waters. There's always something about leadership that there's a reason why people are not doing this by themselves, and it's always bad. It, it, it's always a situation, or not always bad. I will say that it's always work, that there's always going to be a struggle. There's always going to be a price that is going to be paid. There's always going to be in, individuals who are going to say, that's not the way I want to go. I don't think that's the way through this. Do you know what you're doing? And, and that, when you begin to accept the responsibility of leadership, is, is part of it. And, and as we look at this for Nehemiah, it was heavy. The next words. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. 
For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I don't know if I know anyone who has done any amount of leadership at all that has not cried because of the leadership that they have to do. It is so hard and it is so heavy. And one of the reasons why, as you look at that with a leadership, is because you care. That when you are motivated by mercy, specifically what this is talking about, you are motivated by the fact that you care about your people. That, that's, and I've been in situations like this, I'll tell you, where I've had leaders that I didn't think cared about me. And, and those leaders, you know what their names were? Mom and dad. And, and so as I looked at that, they were heartless. They are cold. I am sitting here, I'm going to bed crying at night, and they're probably in there laughing, watching Johnny Carson or something. I don't know what they're doing in there. But either way, they don't understand the pain that I'm in. And as we look at that, and as we think about that, I think it's very important that, first of all, you understand that individuals who have led you in your life who show empathy for you, and I don't care if this is a friend who's helped you through a difficult time, that part of this is when you meet people where they are, there is pain involved. And, and there is a price tag on it that is very, very deep because when you meet people where they are, you go to some very dark places because you have to go to where they are because of what has happened in their life. And so the, as you look at this, if leadership is taking them from point A to point B, you have to go to point A first, and you might be way far away from there, and you go back down. So in the blank, you can write, a godly leader always has empathy for his people. A godly leader always has empathy for his or her people. Now Nehemiah goes even farther. He said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love and those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You will never hear a prayer like that from leaders in our government. I don't want to say never. But, but, uh, but before you turn from those words, this is very important. And, and the reason why, we're going to get to this, is, is leaders take ownership. Now, I, I don't know if you caught this or not, but... Nehemiah lived 80 years after the fall of Jerusalem, which means 586 BC, Nehemiah wasn't even born yet. And so in the midst of this, you see Nehemiah confessing the sins of his people and his country. 
And, and then after they're in exile and he is alive and now he's looking at this, he's saying, my dad, my, my family, all of us, as I look at these people, we have acted wickedly. I have acted wickedly. And I want you to think about this for a moment. And I want you to think about it in terms of accepting culpability, accepting the blame for the sins of our country. I want you to think about that a little bit because what happens very often is we blame other sides, other factions of our country as those who, who we might be in disagreement with. But, but as you look at that, connect dots in your life to, to take ownership of the problems that our country has. I'm going to share a very real example. When I was a pastor, just came out of the seminary, the church that I was at bought a house. And, and they own the house, and that's where I lived. And they call that a parsonage, is, is sometimes what they call it. And so that's where I lived. And I was, at that time, there were no members of the church. I worked with a mission board, a lot like what we're doing in Midtown, where I was working with individuals from our larger church body. And I went around with a, a real estate agent, and we were able to find a house in, in northern Wisconsin right on a lake for $138,000, which was a steal. It was an absolute steal. Six years after I had been a pastor there, we had the same home. Uh, it, we, we had it appraised, $225,000. And you know what I thought? I just got screwed out of six years of equity as, as, as a homeowner. And, I, and someday I'm going to want to retire. And now this church, has, they, they're the ones, nonprofit, are gaining all of this from, from the house that I bought before any of them were here, and I'm not seeing any of this money. So I talked to them and I said, what would you think about me buying the house? And they said, sure, for $225,000 you can buy the house. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So then I said, you know what? I'm going to buy my own house. So I did. And then when I came to Crosswalk, after owning it for seven years and 2008 happening, I was told, you're going to need to bring $25,000 to closing on this house. Now, as we talk about this, the point is this. Maybe you have a greed problem in the United States. Maybe as we look at this, that I can say, you know what, this is, yeah, there's so many greedy people, they're power-hungry in government, all that. But the reality of it is, I was greedy. I was looking at everyone else, how they were doing, and I wanted in on it. And then when I, when I want in on it, and it turned, well, I don't think about the risk. I don't want to, now I'm conveniently a victim it's not my fault. It's, the, it's these lenders. That's who the problem is. The problem, and maybe, I'm not saying it's not. But I'm saying I had one person to blame for my issues. And he has two thumbs and he's standing here before you today. That's me. Now I want you to think about this in terms of being a leader. And part of leading is leading yourself. And as you lead yourself, it is time to stop being a victim before God.
It's time to stop blaming him for the problems that you have in your life. And instead, a route of saying, Lord, I confess to you my part in this, which is huge. The one commonality in all of my problems is me. In the blank, you can write, leaders own their own sins and in mercy own the mistakes of those they are leading. Leaders own their own sins and in mercy own the mistakes of those they are leading. Please, please, please see in this Jesus Christ. When you think of this, and, and sometimes this is called extreme ownership, where you, take, you say, no, as leader, I take responsibility. Think of Christ, the one who came into this world, the only one to be without sin, taking the blame, taking the responsibility before the Father. Lord, I stand before you. Father, I stand before you, and I take responsibility for the sins of the people that you have put in my life, of, of your children. And Lord, I stand before you and I will accept the punishment for them. That's what happened with Jesus. That's what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was talking to the Father and praying to him if there is any other way possible and the Lord saying, no, this is the way. That is what the cross is all about is Jesus showing leadership and ownership of the sins that he took on himself of the entire world and yours as well which is why we can get to the next words. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Yeah, remember, remember those words? You told them to Moses this was going to happen. But, but, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon... I will gather them up from there and bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And so Nehemiah takes the Lord on this journey and he takes us there as well. This is what God says about sin and punishment of it. And this was the conclusion of the Ten Commandments. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations who love me and keep my commands. In the blank, you can write, godly leaders call on God and direct their followers to the threats and promises of God, to the whole counsel of God's word, the warnings and the promises, those words which point out the sin and my shortcoming and the words of promise and, and the forgiveness we have there. the threats and the promises of God. And it's not surprising the very next words then, Nehemiah 1 verse 10, they are your servants. And this is Nehemiah talking to God, pointing to the people saying, they are your servants and your people who you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. These words were said for God to hear, a reminder of his promises, but they're also meant for you to hear. That's what leaders do. They remind you that you are God's servants. You are God's people. You are his children. 
You are the ones who have been bought with the price, the price of Jesus Christ. And that's why we talk about identity all the time. We say that constantly, that I'm a child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus. That's your identity. And you need to be reminded that of that again and again and again, especially these people, because they were losing the identity. We're people punished by God. We're cursed by God. We live in a foreign country. Our God has forgotten who we are. No, no, that is not true. God made his promises and he remembers. In the blank you can write, a leader remembers and reminds his followers of their true identity. A leader remembers and reminds his followers of their true identity. And in that way also, Nehemiah was motivated by mercy. Motivated by mercy, not just that his heart went out to his people, but motivated by the mercy that God had showed to him and that God was showing to the people as well. If you are going to be a leader, you can do it for a bunch of different reasons, bunch of different motivations that can be selfish and fearful and and so many things in between. But it starts really with the motivation of, of being shown mercy and love by God. In the final words of the first chapter, let your ears be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today By granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. And what we have in in this, and we're going to see it in in the next lesson next week, is Nehemiah was about to do something that he never would have thought doing ever. And that was to walk into the presence of the king and ask for something. Because the way that it worked at this time is you did not do that. That king was not motivated by mercy. He was motivated by power. He was motivated by strength. He was motivated by success. And so anyone who came into his presence, and we'll talk about this next week, was coming in there to give something to him, not asked to take something from him. Nehemiah knew that. And we're going to see that the next step of this, as he was motivated by mercy, is he had to put his, his, himself on the line. That there was a very real possibility uh, that what he was about to do as a leader would hurt him personally. We need to be honest and open about this because as we think about this with what's going to sustain you in leadership, the only thing that is going to sustain you in leadership is motivation that comes from being loved by God and a desire to show that same type of love to those you lead. That's it. That is God's way of leading. If you are going to lead God's way, that is the only way to do it. In the blank, you can write, my success as a leader comes from God who gives it. If you want to be seen as a success, it's not even what you accomplish necessarily with the success That part of the success is simply learning that the number one thing you can do as a godly leader success is learning to follow, learning to follow the Lord. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this first week of Nehemiah. I'm telling you, there are chapters that coming up that are 
they're crazy. They're, it's a great story. So if you want to go there and read, uh, especially like the first five chapters of Nehemiah, just to familiarize yourself with the story, feel free to do that. Uh, if not, we will be back next week to look at chapter two. And let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world motivated by mercy. And, and that motivation, Lord, as he came in, that, that he saw us in a place, when you think about point A and point B, point A for us is we were, were lost in, in sin, that, that we were lost without you. Point B, the place where he wants to lead us is to be with you in heaven. And then in the middle, Lord, is life. And oh my goodness, do we need him. We need him uh, to come in and to lead and to guide us and, and to save us. Now, Lord, having been uh, loved in that way, help us to be also motivated by, by mercy. That as we follow you, Lord, help us to encourage others to follow us as they follow you as well. And as we do that, help us to lead in the way uh, that you have taught us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. I'm telling you, the, the, the leadership, you can feel like you are alone when you lead. And that's why I love this song. If you are someone who's maybe a little afraid of leadership, Know who goes before you, know who's behind you, know who's on your side. The Lord surrounds you. And if you are someone who likes leadership and you're like, yeah, I like to be in charge, remember who goes before you. Remember who goes behind and by your side and he is faithful and and rest on his promises. And as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great day.